Welcome in. Welcome all basketball fans. You're listening to, of course, what I like to call the best basketball content that you can find on the planet. Uh, everything unbiased, completely and totally unbiased. But I'm going to give you a lot of the stats, a lot of facts. Um, again, a lot of unbiased opinions, but just the straight up real, the straight up truth about the sport of basketball. We talk a little bit of everything. I tell this joking, uh, half jokingly anyway, speaking very facetiously um, about, you know, what we cover and what we discuss, the kind of content that we provide here with Tate's Take, which is what you're listening to, obviously, and watching. Thank God that we have an opportunity to have this platform on board. Uh, everything, man, the, the the amateur level, the, the high school level, AAU, collegiate basketball, um, NBA basketball, international basketball, wheelchair basketball, NBA 2K, you name it. If it's basketball, again, I know you guys heard me say it many, many times, 94 feet long, 50 feet wide, 22 feet, one and one quarter inches out on the perimeter if that basketball hoop is is uh is, is 10 feet tall then you definitely checked into the right place uh talk to you guys a little bit about what we're going to talk about today okay i, I want to make sure that i first and foremost say this i appreciate you for checking out the show you can always be sure to share it along with a friend social media the whole nine i'm on instagram as well as on twitter at tates take hoops t-a-t-e-s-t-a-k-e H double O P S hashtag. We already know that's where basketball lives. Um, and so I'm just really thankful and really appreciative of uh, you guys checking out the show today. So just a little bit of a brief on what we're going to talk about. You know, there's going to be uh, this time starting out with the point guard position where I'm going to break down all the elite players by position that's entering the 2020 NBA draft. We're going to start with Cole Anthony today. Um, and then even more so following that up, we'll get into different players by different positions and all that good stuff. But I think it's really important for me to be able to break down the stats and the facts and all these good things, the strengths, the weaknesses, the pros, the cons, even of a lot of these players that are entering the draft. We already know I've kind of talked about it more than probably enough times this year, first time hearing this, then uh, enjoy the education that you're about to receive. I think unless you've been living living under a rock, it's somewhat of a no brainer uh, that this is one of the more you know down years in regards to the NBA draft uh, with some of the talent and the prospects that you have within it this year. Uh, and even more so, uh, we're going to get into some conversations about the NBA, uh, the, the uh, an NBA update in regards to uh, them resuming play. They're taking a step forward with that. That will begin tomorrow. We'll get into all the meat and potatoes of all that good stuff that will be taking place on tomorrow. So um, first things first, before we do anything, I want to get into this new piece of a segment that I have first before I start talking to you guys about some of the changes recently that have been made within the NBA draft and that whole process, some of the very important key dates that you want to keep your eyes and your ears open for. Um, so first things first, let's jump right on into it. I have this really cool, new, awesome segment that I just brought up myself uh, in, in, in just very short time, but I think is very important as today is May 7th, 2020. Uh, it's called Up to Date with Deshaun Tate. Okay, where I'm basically going to give you guys a rundown 
a chunk of information of things that happened in the sport of basketball. Primarily what I'm looking at today was specifically in the NBA. Um, but, you know, things that happened, birthdays of basketball players, current basketball players, former retired basketball players, the whole nine. And it goes as such. Let's start off with up to date. The up to date things. Uh, 1972, the uh, May 5th, rather, 1972, the Lakers won their sixth championship against the New York Knicks as a franchise. Their very first one today in 1972, they won their first one as an L.A. team coming over from Minnesota. So the following five were uh, when they were the Minneapolis Lakers um, and now the, the Los Angeles Lakers. 1989, the shot took place. It only seems right that we're talking about this right now, obviously, because of the whole The Last Dance documentary, the Michael Jordan, the 97, 98 Bulls and all the stuff that's coming along with that. Unless, you know, you, you guys been, again, living under a rock, then you haven't been paying much and very close attention uh, to that documentary, a fine documentary by the four letter network that they've been putting on. The shot by Michael Jordan over Craig Elo uh, on uh, on May 7th of 1989. Uh, yes, I said Craig Elo, not Ron Harper. We heard in the documentary that uh, Ron Harper felt like he should have been the guy that was guarding Jordan on that particular play for that night. And even Michael Jordan himself even admitted to uh, Rob, Par uh, Rob Parker, Ron Harper, <laughs> buddy of mine, uh, Rob Parker came on the other day, kind of stuck in my dome. Uh, Ron Harper, uh, should have been the guy that should have been guarding him and would have made it, you know, a, a much tougher shot and even uh, would have contested it a little bit more than Craig Elo probably have. And probably my fondest memory of that particular moment, everybody knows the way that he just kind of like hung in the air for such a long time, was able to even get a shot off like that. And, and not only what most people will remember by Michael Jordan after hitting that shot, going over, you know, closer to the sideline uh, near the bench and just pumping that fist, you know, jumping as high as he could in the air and pumping that fist. And everybody's going to remember that. But what you won't see is Craig Elo so, so like just just walking slowly with his head down over to the bench, just shaking his head with his hand on top of his head like that. I thought was very uh, a, a very classic moment. That not a lot of people pay attention to in the background outside of you seeing Michael Jordan pump that fist. That was in game five of the uh, Eastern Conference round one where they defeated the Cavs. That was an 18 foot jump shot where the Bulls went on and won that game 101 to 100. One point victory by the Bulls on that one. We all know what they went on to do besides losing to the Pistons. That particular game I've heard by a lot of friends, a lot of different analysts to say that, you know, that was the game that kind of solidified them. What was to come uh, in the NBA and Michael Jordan really being the face of the league at that time. Let's fast forward a little bit to a few years later, 1994, where the Denver Nuggets became the NBA's first number eight seed to defeat a number one seed. Now, I want to make sure that I put an asterisk by that for the people who like to get technical on me. Um, that was the, the first time it's ever happened in a, in a, uh, in a five game format. Um, so I want to make sure that I preface it by saying that um, that is when the Nuggets uh, at a, as an eight seed took down the number one seed Seattle Supersonics. I don't know if I'm showing my age a little bit by by mentioning the Supersonics on that one, but um, 
yeah, that, that's a, that's one for those millennials in case people thought that Kevin Durant prior to going to, you know, the Brooklyn Nets or prior to playing for um, the Golden State Warriors and even the Oklahoma City Thunder, there was a place that he played before that. That would be the Seattle Super Sonics before it ended up turning into just the Seattle Sonics. Um, uh, the Nuggets went on to win that. Three to two. That was arguably the biggest upset in NBA playoff history, winning that game 98 to 94 in overtime. And not only was that game won on the road in Seattle, uh, but I think something that's a little bit more telling in regards to um, in regards to that uh, particular uh, series, that is, is, you know, it's crazy to think about it because the Denver Nuggets went down two to zero or zero to two rather, um, you know, against Seattle and had to come back and win three consecutive games. So they lost the first two in Seattle. They go on to go to Denver, tie up the series at two, two. And then in a situation, you know, where it's um, in a situation where, you know, you, you, you're living and dying by just one game. It's essentially a game seven as what we know it to be today. You see the Denver Nuggets go ahead and take care of them in that very last game on the road. And one of my most fond memories of that game, as everybody knows, is just kind of seeing Dikembe Mutombo uh, as the you know horn sounds and, and time runs out and expires. You could just see him just grabbing that basketball, just shedding tears of joy, running down his face. I mean, just pure emotion. And, and, and that's actually one of the moments that uh, as I really started you know, getting really in depth in the sport of basketball um, in 1994, which was my first year, like ever playing anything remotely close to anything somewhat organized. I think it was like the three on three tournament, Gus Macker in my, in my hometown of Lansing, Michigan, which I know about Gus Macker and Red Hacker. I don't think y'all know as much as uh, y'all might claim to know, but nonetheless, um, you know, that, that that's one of the moments that got me to fall in love with the game. Uh, because of the simple fact, you know, you, you've got these guys playing with emotion. Of course, we're talking about 80s and 90s basketball, and that's something that, you know, I really love and wish that I could have back. Watching this Michael Jordan documentary makes me want it back and wish that I had it just that much more, just the, you know, the competitiveness of the players at that time. Um, and so just holding that ball, you know, tears of joy, Dikembe Mutombo on that final rebound, laying out on the floor in the paint, uh, it, th there was just really nothing like, and I would imagine that Dikembe Mutombo, um, you know, would would probably say that that's one of the greatest moments of his career. And last but certainly not least, on uh, on on up to date with Deshaun Tate, Reggie Miller in 1995 scored eight points, two three pointers, and two free throws in the final 16.4 seconds left in uh, a game where the Indiana Pacers defeated the New York Knicks on the road, another game on the road um, in regulation, 107 to 105. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if that was the infamous uh, choke uh, game for Reggie Miller that was, you know, uh, uh, kind of trolling Spike Lee a little bit on the sidelines at that time. Michael Jordan wasn't, or Scottie Pippen, those guys weren't the only ones to kind of troll um, the New York Knicks and Spike Lee, which even kind of gets me to thinking that, uh, it's funny to hear Patrick Ewing come out today and say that he doesn't want to relive those moments uh, from, you know, his time as a New York Knick and losing to the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. You know, that that 
that doesn't surprise me, but I think it's awesome that he shared that he's not watching because any little bit of content or information that we get uh, from any of these NBA players, I mean, personally, I just think that it's it's really awesome to see how not only we're dealing with, you know, this documentary as fans uh, and showing that true fandom, but how are the players that lost to Michael Jordan watching this? Everybody's not as, you know, friendly and nice about it as the same way that Charles Barkley has been uh, and been so open to talk about it. But Patrick Ewing saying, I'm not even watching the documentary at all. I don't want to relive those moments. And if I'm being honest, the way that Michael Jordan was dunking all over Patrick Ewing uh, during those times and just for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. Maybe, you know, you, you, maybe somebody can explain this one to me, but the way that you would see Michael Jordan on a consistent level, just always blocking Patrick Ewing from behind like this and just cuffing that block. It just seems like a lot of Michael Jordan's in-game most ruthless dunks or posters on somebody just always seem to have happened, uh, you know, against the New York Knicks and Patrick Ewing. So I know that's one of the greatest moments. But again, 95 Reggie Miller goes off and scores eight points in the final 16.4 seconds. I don't even think I can draw somebody that can do that on a piece of paper, let alone actually be a person um, that could actually do something like that. Again, game one, Eastern Conference semis uh, of the playoffs where the Indiana Pacers went on to win game seven um, against them and advance on to the next round. Last but certainly not least for up to date with Deshaun Tate, the birthdays of today, of people that played basketball, uh, currently play basketball, retired players. Emil Jefferson, who's now turning 26 today, who played at Duke, had some stints with the Orlando Magic as well. Happy birthday to him. Tyler Johnson, who's 27, played at Fresno State and played at a couple places, uh, the Miami Heat and the Phoenix Suns, most notably. A guy that's from South Dakota. Not sure I really would have remembered that, nonetheless. Um one thing that's always kind of got me thinking about a guy like, and I digress about some of this is just a random moment, but I got to share it with you guys is you look up Tyler Johnson or Tyler Johnson basketball, because I know that there's multiple Tyler Johnsons that play sports and a football guy might come up. Uh, but Tyler Johnson being one of those guys, I just always kind of wondered when I saw Tyler Johnson. And I know that this is really random, but. Is Tyler Johnson black? Like, this is something I just kind of wanted to know. You know, I, I, I see that when I first saw guys like Bruce Pearl, I didn't know if Bruce Pearl was like a black guy. Is he a white guy? I don't know. Does he just have a little bit more flavor than the average white guy? I know he's Jewish, so I guess he's white. But, you know, prior to knowing these things, I'm like, is this a black guy? And I know I'm just kind of ranting and going on a little bit, but just, I just want to take you guys inside of the mind of Deshaun Tate a little bit. Um, and just some of the things that I think about. I don't know if Tyler Johnson is white or black. I've always kind of been kind of interested to know exactly it's almost kind of almost like Devin Booker like is Devin Booker like completely black like is he mixed like is he like Blake Griffin where he kind of has this like you know strawberry smoothie mango type color to him or is he just like a straight up black dude like I kind of feel like that's God in a sense saying at the very last minute you know what I got it we're gonna make this dude black at the very last minute like that's what Tyler Johnson and, and Devin Booker kind of reminds me of uh, Tyler Johnson uh, turning 27 today, so um, no really random moment. Uh, so happy birthday to him. Uh, Bob Weiss, who turned 78 today, still living. Good for him, man, living a long life. 
um, was a player with the Philadelphia 76ers. We talked about the Supersonics before. He was a player there as well. Milwaukee Bucks, Chicago Bulls, the Buffalo Braves, which you know about that, um, and the Washington Bullets, not the Wizards. For all of you uh, millennials and people who don't know, back at that time, they were the Bullets before they became um, before they became the Washington Wizards. Uh, so he did have some playing stints there and was a head coach formerly of the San Antonio Spurs, the Atlanta Hawks. So that's pretty close to home. The Los Angeles Clippers can't imagine that that went very well. And of course, the Seattle Supersonics uh, prior to winning the championship as a player in 1967 with the Philadelphia 76ers. Last but certainly not least of this particular segment, you have Sean the Matrix Marion. Now, don't nobody know what this is. I take anybody to, to just take a guess to what that is. And I'm going to do it again for the people out there who maybe aren't familiar exactly to what I'm doing. Of course, you have to be live watching me right about now in order um, in order to see that. But um, as I'm going to scroll up a little bit here as we're talking about uh, Sean Marion, if you don't know what that is, Feel free to go on and, and, you know, as always, you know, the comments, questions, opinions, they're always, you know, welcomed and strongly encouraged right down here at the bottom on the uh, on the ticker right below that. You guys can, you know, comment uh, in that Facebook, uh, I guess, you know, kind of post your comments and things like that. Uh, who can guess to what this is? I'll be willing to uh, want to know what some people think that that is. That's that. For me, that's the Sean Marion jump shot. Now, I know that that looked crazy, but you Google Sean Marion jump shot and Josh Childress jump shot, and you guys tell me which one you guys think is worse. That was how Sean Marion shot the ball. He didn't do a bad, bad job of it at all. He turns 42 today. He played at UNLV. Um, played with the Phoenix Suns for quite a while, uh, as well as the Miami Heat kind of turned into being a, a journeyman a little bit towards the tail end of his career. The Toronto Raptors, the Dallas Mavericks, and the um, and the Cleveland Cavaliers, where he won a world championship in 2011 with the Dallas Mavericks. Now, got a couple people that want to come in here on um, uh, comment. A couple comments that I definitely want to read here. We got uh, Shaquille Williams, who is a cousin of mine, saying Kimo East. Not exactly sure what Kimo East means, but I'm pretty sure that he's going to chime back in and tell exactly what exactly uh, everybody what he means by that. Uh, Jeremy Jackson, a really awesome supporter of mine, uh, takes take uh, podcast. And since I've been coming up as a youngin, coming through and saying, what up, fam? Always appreciate the love. Feel free to share and tell a friend of what we're doing over here. Really awesome things, awesome basketball content, even things that you might not learn are up to date with Deshaun Tate. Appreciate Jeremy Jackson for chiming in. Of course, Jeremy Jackson always said, also says his horrible jump shot. So I'm glad that he guessed it. Uh, he, he that that was man. I, I didn't expect that anybody. I'm I'm thinking to myself like everybody's gonna be wondering exactly what this is. I guess it kind of looks like a jump shot, but that's literally how Sean Marion shot his jump shots. But uh, uh, Bernard King, another one of those players we were talking about. You know the Washington Bullets. Uh, was also on that, um, also played for that franchise as well. So appreciate everybody for coming through. James Stewart for saying what up. Um, but let's get into some of this stuff about Cole Anthony because I'm 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 more intrigued by that probably than anything else. And I know guys have been 
I know you guys have been uh, anticipating, um, you know, kind of hearing the breakdown a little bit of Cole Anthony and the way that I kind of assess Cole Anthony. So I definitely want to get into some of that. But before I do so, I want to read off a couple of things that are very important, a few key notes, quotes, uh, things like that. Um, and dates that, you know, you guys want to keep your eyes and your ears open for, because I kind of see this as being an NBA draft as we transition now that everyone wants to take advantage of this quote unquote uh, down year of a draft. To me, that's exactly what it is. I don't think this is the first time you're going to hear that, nor the last time as we get closer to the date of the NBA draft, which has unfortunately uh, been pushed back. Um, that date is not yet been, um, you know, has, has not yet to be released to us exactly to when that's going to take place. But it was to be on the 25th of June. So uh, on Sunday, April 26th, just a few days, uh, probably about a week ago or so, underclassmen had their dec their declare deadline date to when they can come back to school. Now, on Wednesday, June 3rd, underclassmen have the opportunity to withdraw from the draft that is their deadline date uh and in effect as of last year players are allowed to hire an agent without forfeiting um their eligibility on, on the collegiate level on the collegiate level of course a lot of these dates are subject to change because of the COVID-19 uh and everything like that but without forfeiting their college eligibility um they have that opportunity to return as far as up underclassmen, rather, June 3rd. Uh, and in effect, as of last year, players are allowed to hire that agent. Uh, players can return to school if undrafted, but only if they are participating in the NBA draft combine. So I know a lot of this stuff is confusing. Uh, however, I will say enough to say that, you know, it's something that is obviously very, very important if you're trying to follow along with you know, a particular player coming back to one of your favorite schools or something right up in that nature. How about this? 233 players submitted last year to um, to the NBA draft. I don't know if we're going to get quite get double that, but there's going to be a lot. 175 on the college level, 58 internationally. Now, on to Cole Anthony. Now, what I'm going to give you is something I think – uh, I hope that a lot of people can, um, you know, really take for face value. Uh, I watch a lot of basketball, a lot of watch a lot of North Carolina. I watch a lot of every team. Uh, I think that's probably no shocker to a lot of people, but I'm going to give you some good, some bad, some ugly, some stats, some facts, uh, and whichever you guys, you know, may necessarily want first. Uh, but first I'm going to go with, mm, Let's go with the let's go with the bad. Let's go with the bad first, because there's a few different things that stick out to me in regards to uh, in regards to Cole Anthony specifically and even a lot of these players. But I want to get into the bad first. And I really hate to be that particular guy, but I do want to do that because I think that that is, you know, obviously very, uh, very important. So. Cole Anthony is a guy that shot 38% from the field at North Carolina this year. Maybe not the most terrible thing in the world, uh, especially considering he's a guard. His team really wasn't all that great. And I'm not trying to make any excuses, but he was the guy for North Carolina this year. 
And if you watched, which I can only imagine, it just makes my stomach turn thinking about North Carolina basketball this year, the way that they underperformed and underachieved, um, you know, if there was a bright spot on this North Carolina team, I think that, you know, it was certainly uh, Cole Anthony from everything that you had the opportunity to see. Now, furthermore, 35% from the three-point line, I can't imagine that's really good. But when you're shooting at a high rate, and I'm really interested to find out exactly what Cole Anthony's uh, true percentage shooting was, um, but 38% from the field and 35% from three is really not good, especially for a guy who's going to be taken in the lotto. And it kind of looks like his draft stock has actually moved down quite a bit from where it was coming into the beginning of the year. I mean, we were talking about this guy maybe being taken by, according to some people, maybe in the top three, certainly within the top uh, five, maybe even uh, certainly top 10, pretty much as a lot guaranteed. I'm not sure if he's still a lot for that. I think that he is personally. Um, and I'm definitely going to explain to you guys a little bit in regards to why I would personally take him over the mellow ball. Now, with that being said, he totaled for 24 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists, three steals and 12 turnovers in his last three games, 24 points, which this is a guy that can put that up. I mean, he put up 34 points in the first game of the season against Syracuse, 24 points combined in the last three games, 14 rebounds, obviously, you know, that being a really good statistic, that's right around five rebounds. He's a, he's a phenomenal rebounding guard without question, 10 assists, um, which is what, about maybe roughly a little over three assists. I think he has to do a little bit better job at getting some of his teammates involved. But 12 turnovers, when you've got more turnovers than you do assists, that's obviously a huge problem for a point guard. Some of that may have something to do with the lack of talent on his team that maybe you know fumbles the ball out of bounds and different things like that. Nonetheless, those turnovers go on that point guard. 88 assists and 77 turnovers is not ideal for a point guard. That's what he had on the season this year. And in those last three games, 12 turnovers, 10 assists, not good. Nine for 34 from the field, two for 11 from three, four for seven from the free throw line in the final three games. Now, people might say, well, Four for seven is obviously really good from the free throw line. So how could that technically be in the, I guess, negative category? I'll explain to you why. With Cole Anthony's ability as a scoring guard, he has to be able to get to the rim and draw those fouls a little bit more often. If I'm not mistaken, those last three games consisted of a loss at Duke against his rival, a win in the first round of the ACC conference tournament against Virginia Tech, where he didn't particularly play well. I think he had like 10 points in that game or something. Um, and the very last game of his career was in the second round of the ACC conference tournament against Syracuse, where they lost after he went out on a limb by saying, Nobody wants to play us this time of the year. And I think they probably bit off a little bit more than you could chew. And I don't have anything against guys who are confident, um, but I, I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what he was thinking at that time because it's been shown throughout the course of the entire year 
with Cole Anthony on the floor, with Cole Anthony off the floor, frustrations throughout the entire duration of the season by the head coach and Roy Williams said that his players and that this team is just really not good at all and that they basically that they suck, that they stink. Um, you know, I'm not sure why Cole Anthony would go as far as to say that. I think that he bit off a little bit more than he could chew in regards to that. But I say that about the free throw percentage because while four of seven is a great percentage, I still like to think that for his ability, he didn't get to the line nearly enough or as much as he possibly could. Um, one thing that Cole Anthony did was that he left us wanting more. Now, that can mean good things and bad things. But Cole Anthony, you know, when you're talking about players that 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 leave us wanting more, sometimes they have just that much of a great effect on us to where they have these phenomenal games. And it's like, I can never get tired of watching this kid. I can never get tired of watching this player. And while I didn't necessarily get tired of watching, he didn't leave that impression in a positive way. It was more so the fact that I didn't get a chance to see everything from Cole Anthony that I expected. I, you know, we saw a little bit more inconsistency from Cole Anthony when he was on the floor than we expected. Now, granted, again, you're looking at some of the players that he's playing with, things like that, and those things do matter. They do play an effect, but NBA GMs and executives don't want to hear those things. They want to know exactly what you did, and some of those things will be taken into account anyway. But when you mention those things kind of coming off as an excuse, and I think that Cole Anthony was well within his abilities to um, – to get to the line more um, and, and, and to leave us with a little bit more. I'm not saying he didn't give it every single night his all, but he just left me with the feel of wanting to see more of him, especially in tight game situations to where he can lead his team to victories. And even in games, people, a lot of people say, well, they lost a lot of those games without Cole Anthony. Yeah, but they lost quite a few of those games with Cole Anthony as well. Um, I, I do notice that, Anthony tends to occasionally seems like he kind of uh, works or tries a little bit too hard to score uh, instead of just kind of letting it come naturally, allowing the flow uh, of the game to just come to him naturally or, 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 or organically. Um, and that, you know, he his playmaking ability a lot of times seemed kind of forced to me sometimes. Uh, I think that he could use a little bit of assistance on his jump shot and work on improving that in regards to his efficiency. I think we could probably say that about every single guy coming out in this draft, especially guys that only did one year on the international and or the collegiate level. Uh, I think that he does lack length uh, for sure, because that's going to be the elephant in the room. That's going to be the big word is wingspan and length. Um, things like that when we do finally have the opportunity to, you know, see the NBA draft come about uh, before us. The shot selection by Cole Anthony, I think, could use some some work as well. Sometimes he doesn't always, you know, necessarily take the best shots, in my opinion. And it's hard not to do that when you feel like you're the guy that has to. And this is why I put a little bit of an asterisk next to him, because this is unfamiliar territory for a typical North Carolina point guard. In my opinion, he gets a little bit of a pass. 
just because of what he was working with this year. It wasn't really ideal. I don't think that, you know, he's a guy that North Carolina had. Sometimes I feel like North Carolina had unrealistic expectations uh, for Cole Anthony to lead that particular group. And while I do think that he did all that he possibly could, uh, I think that it could have been a little bit more efficient. He could have found his spots a little bit uh, better than he did. And again, a lot of that goes back to uh, shot selection. One thing that probably won't surprise anybody is being a point guard from New York. He tends to over dribble. Uh, and I don't think that that probably surprises anybody when you look at where he comes from again, a freshman point guard. Again, I still like to think of him as a combo guard as well, kind of like a Damian Lillard. And I think that that plays well into uh, his positioning because the NBA seems to have a lack for pure pass first traditional point guards your prototypical point guards we don't see that nearly as much again i mentioned the name damian lillard because he has the ability much like cole anthony to play point guard um maybe not be necessarily in a shooting guard role but more off ball if that makes sense but still not a shooting guard um and that combo guard he's a scoring guard that's exactly what he is but he can play the point guard better than you know, uh, you know, a shooting guard that you try to position at the point guard spot, if that makes any kind of sense. I might have probably um, confused you a little bit more. But the last thing outside of being an over dribbler is what I've noticed is that uh, Cole Anthony can be easily frustrated. And I've watched him. And maybe some of that is because of how passionate of a player he is. Again, 6'3", from New York City. Uh, average 18 and a half points per game, six rebounds, a phenomenal rebounder, I like to think. And that's just all effort and technique, mostly effort in regards to rebounding, especially at the guard position. Four assists per game is not nearly enough for me. Um, but when you're rolling out there, some of those guys that Carolina rolled out there this year, with the exception of maybe Garrison Brooks, who I think provided the most amount of help, you're going to be put in situations like that. Um and he doesn't really maximize his playmaking reads all that well, I don't think. Um, now, in, in regards to the good things, let's get to some of that stuff because that's some of my favorites. I've been waiting to dip and dive in on some of the optimistic things that Cole Anthony brings to the table. And while it may seem like there was a lot more negative things, trust me, there definitely isn't. Those negative things that I had to go and find, or not even negative things, I guess you could call them weaknesses, if you will, um, are things that I don't think that I saw on a consistent level, number one. And number two, I had to dig really deep in the mind of Tate's take in order to find a lot of, you know, those weaknesses within his game. 18 and a half points per game, I think is phenomenal for uh, Cole Anthony, which is something that was expected, maybe a little bit more, certainly not less than 17 points per game is my, where my expectations of him coming in again a phenomenal rebounder i don't and, and that's one thing and i know you guys are probably tired of me you know uh uh you know it's like beating a, a it's like beating a dead horse with a dead horse 
But when you start talking about guys that can rebound at the guard level, that's something that the NBA values, cherishes, and can go and take you a very long way. 75% from the free throw line, I think is tremendous. I think that's really good. Can it be raised? Sure. But I can think of a lot of guards that didn't even shoot 75% from the free throw line, let alone in their first year. I mean, the kid's only, what, 18, 19 years old, for crying out loud. Scored 20-plus points per game nine times at North Carolina in Chapel, Hill, in Chapel Hill this year and met or exceeded his scoring average by um, um, uh, scoring average 12 times at Carolina this year as well. Uh, he's a superior athlete. I think that goes without saying. And one thing I want you guys to really pay attention to the next time you get a chance to see Cole Anthony is that Cole is skinny strong. He's not going to be this guy that's big and bulky. He's not next year's, you know, Josh Christopher. He's not your, you know, your Chauncey Billups. And while I do love those guys, he's not those guys. He's not going to back you down the post or anything like that. Not to say he doesn't have that ability or can't grow into that mode, but he's skinny strong. He's a skinny guy that will take you by surprise as to exactly how strong that he is as a guard. And that's something I love about his game because he knows exactly what he has, the kind of body he has, and he knows exactly how to use that um, to his advantage. Uh, he's also a natural scorer. That's obvious. Uh, above average rebounding guard. We talked about that. Now, this is another thing. And we, you know, I discussed this with many different people. This has been like the big word of 2020 that we've talked about because, you know, I've always personally felt like, and obviously I'm not going to put them in this order, but. Uh, Russell Westbrook, arguably as competitive of a basketball player as you can find anywhere. That's competition. That's competitive nature. He's in that same conversation to me in regards to competitiveness. Um, when you start talking about another guy, Kobe Bryant, very overly, uberly competitive. Michael Jordan, uber competitive. Now, I'm not saying that Kobe Bryant is in the same conversation as those guys. However, what I will say is that he may just be the most competitive, not just guard, because I definitely think he is that, but the most competitive player in this NBA draft. Uh, so he's certainly a fearless competitor. Uh, and, and, and just as a little bit of proof, he took the Zion Williamson route when he didn't have to. And I think that's the beauty thing about being able to enjoy and watch and embrace college basketball this year was the simple fact that here's two guys, ironically enough, from Duke and Carolina, Zion Williamson in last year and this year, Cole Anthony, guys who were either going to be a number one pick, a top three pick, a top five pick, a top 10 pick, a lottery pick. When everybody's yelling about go and get the money, you know, these institutions have already made their money off of these particular players. Um, and they didn't have to play and suit up anymore after their injuries. And with everybody, you know, influencing them to say, don't worry about it. I wouldn't take that risk, you know, um, especially for Cole Anthony, where they really didn't have much of a shot by the time he came, he would be coming back for North Carolina to play. You know, everybody said, well, you're not going to make it to the NCAA tournament anyways, with the exception of if you win the ACC conference tournament. But he still came back to play when he really didn't have to. Uh, and I think that that stuck out a lot. And that told me a lot about his character as a player. Uh, when most lottery picks 
probably would have sat out the entire season. He had nothing else to prove. He knew where he was going to be taken at in the lottery. And he comes from an NBA background, you know, in regards to his dad, obviously, you know, that runs in his bloodline, Greg Anthony. Um, and, and they know exactly what to do in situations like that. And I was a little bit surprised that he came back, That I, but I was happy to see that he did because that definitely showed me a lot about Cole Anthony and just that love and passion that he has, much like Zion last year, to come back and play basketball when he really didn't have to. And like I said, basketball heritage run, runs in his bloodline, considering the fact of his dad. Um, the thing I also love about him is that he can play on and off the ball equally. He's equally effective on offense in both of those positions. And when you consider those things, you have an automatic NBA basketball player in regards to longevity that you're going to get a chance to see him for a lot of years, bearing injuries, obviously. Uh, and he's not an injury-prone guy. He played you know, 22 games this season uh, and sat out but came back. And you got to love that for him now. Take a little break there. Warm up the pipes just a little bit. I will say this much to go along with that is that he has, you know, ideal size of an NBA guard. He's very, very quick, very, very shifty. Uh, and I think that he's NBA ready. I really do. I, I really do believe that um, he has that killer mentality. And that probably won't. A lot of this stuff in regards to the way I describe Carmelo Anthony, uh, Carmelo Anthony, Cole Anthony. <laughs> no relation, I don't think. Um, you know, it, it, it goes to show a lot about his background and where he comes from. He, everybody talks about that New York mentality or that New York state of mind, the, you know, toughest nails and the ruggedness and the edge that they play with. I do love that. No, New York guards tend to over dribble, you know, kind of dribble the air out of the basketball a little bit. But when you start talking about that mentality and their approach to the game, I think that it's probably second to none. I think it's fair to say that, and that's something that he definitely has. Um, he has elite penetration skills. You know, there's no stage that is too big for him. The kid comes from, you know, New York City for crying out loud. Um, the problem is sometimes he can be easily frustrated. And, and, and not that that bothers me, but I'd like to see him get that under control with the professionalism aspect. Uh, from that aspect of the game, I think that he will grow more into learning how to deal with that. But a lot of that is just because of how passionate uh, that he really is of uh, of a basketball player. So you definitely have to uh, certainly take heed to that. Um, he has elite body control. He excels in the open floor setting, getting to the basket, those things. He finishes with either hand at the rim. The ability to, you know, draw fouls, get to the free throw line. Again, most of people may not necessarily be in love. Again, I'm one of those people with the fact of uh, his inability to do that in the last three games of his collegiate career. Uh, but I, I do, however, think that he has it in him to learn how to, you know, get to the cup, twerk his body a little bit, protect the basketball, get an one off the glass and go to the free throw line and knock those down. I don't have a question in my mind that he has that ability um, uh, to do that. Um, you know, he's he, he has a, a really deadly first step. I do love that about him as well. He's a reliable free throw shooter, uh, and he challenges bigs at the rim. Again, 
And I was talking about going to the cup, being able to uh, cuff that basketball, protect it like a baby, the way that you're supposed to uh, at a young age, the way that you learn how to do that, always protecting the basketball as a point guard. I don't think that he'll have any any issues in, in that department. So he certainly challenges uh, other players at the rim and he embraces the contact. And that's something that I love about him as well. Uh, he can shoot off the dribble, which is good. He's not bad from a mid-range standpoint, which, you know, I know that it seems that that part of the game has, um, has kind of, you know, been missing from the NBA a little bit. I don't expect this guy to be able to run off screens and do all these different things the same way that Rip Hamilton did it when he was in Detroit. But he does have the ability to hit jump, open jump shots, even jump shots that are contested. He's very fast and he's strong enough to keep defenders off of him. So I think that that's good. He has that size ability going for him as well. Um, and he has a, a, a above average jumping ability off of two feet as well. He finds his angles very well on the floor. Uh, and he does a good job at locating his spots. Again, shot selection, he can do better, but he can find, uh, he can definitely find those spots. And I'm going to tell you why I take him over LaMelo Ball. And I'm going to try and keep this as simple and short and sweet as I possibly can. We know that that's no such thing with me. So, um, you know, the reality is that I'm concerned, and I'll talk about this when we start getting into our draft analysis on LaMelo Ball, but one thing that concerns me is the competition of LaMelo. Um, and it's not like he, I mean, I'm sure he did more winning than Cole Anthony did on the on the collegiate level, which I don't think that that's really saying much. But it's not like he was, you know, that 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 they were blowing opponents out and blowing them away. Uh, when LaMelo was playing. So I think that they're very similar in regards to that. Obviously, LaMelo has the things that you can't teach, you know, the the IQ and um, the size, the wingspan, the length, the passing ability, the, the court vision, all of those things. And while Cole Anthony lacks some of those things in those departments, uh, I think that he makes up for them in other areas. Uh, and I just think that he's, you know, I, I personally think that he's tougher than LaMelo Ball. And you need that toughness that is going to help you out going into the NBA. Um, and when I say toughness, I don't know him as, you know, a person, obviously. But uh, just for what I see on the floor, he appears to be a tougher basketball player than one LaMelo Ball. And, you know, while I do have concerns about Cole Anthony's shot selection sometimes, also have concerns of the same thing when it comes to LaMelo Ball and probably even more so when it comes to LaMelo Ball. So that's just kind of the way that I'm feeling about that. I think I personally think that being taken off of the draft boards and in need of a point guard, especially if you're the New York Knicks, considering he's already from New York, it's not going to surprise anybody. This is big time, big city primetime basketball, big-time market, the bright lights and big city and all the stuff that goes along with playing in New York City alongside R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox and a lot of these guys, I don't think that Chris Paul would be the answer, especially considering the fact um, that, you know, Chris Paul is towards the tail end of uh, of his playing career. I think you want to get some youthfulness, some energy. While you do need 
some veteran leadership. I think you can find that in other places. Not that Chris Paul, Chris Paul would be terrible uh, for that particular market or for that organization, for that franchise. But um, I just don't know what you're going to get out of him. Um, but Chris Paul has done obviously a phenomenal job with, you know, relocating back to Oklahoma, <clears throat> excuse me, Oklahoma City like he did before. Um, you know, I think that uh, Cole Anthony has a decent feel for the pace of the game uh, as well as, uh, you know, him being a guy that, you know, played, again, 22 games, missed 11 games with a torn meniscus in his right knee from Oak Hill. And I always try to tell people that <clears throat> share a really cool story, a really awesome story of what some of these guys like when I first saw them play or any of the times that I saw them live. And I think I teased that at one point, so I want to get into that. The first time I saw Cole Anthony was on the Nike EYBL Summer Circuit. <clears throat> I want to say 20... 16 17 somewhere right up in that range he was playing with the with the new york rims um uh, i'm sorry he was playing with psa rather um and that was a team that you know brandon randolph that played uh at arizona was on that team uh mo bamba was on that team as well who was obviously a lottery pick <clears throat> top 10 pick in the nba draft but and, and Cole Anthony, here he is. The others are, you know, pretty much rising seniors for the most part. Cole Anthony was a true freshman, a rising sophomore, number one player, uh, certainly number one guard in the country at his position at that time. And while you did see Cole Anthony play out of control, I mean, the kid's 14 years old, 15 years old at the time. He was playing up against some of the best players currently playing in the NBA right now um, or projected best players. They played up against Mokan Elite, in case you don't know who was on that team. And they, they played in, a, in, in the championship of the Nike EYBL Peach Jam that year. Uh, and that was the year that they met up in the championship game against Michael Porter Jr. and Trey Young. And, of course, Trey Young torched him the – pretty much the same way that he did everybody else. But one thing Cole Anthony did was that you saw the passion. He doesn't like losing. He hates losing. I saw it all over his face. Um, and, you know, you just really saw that passion, how bad he wanted it. He, he wasn't as experienced as those other guys, but I loved his approach to the game. He was a little bit wild uh, on possessions, and that's kind of expected. But just to be able to watch his game grow and the maturations uh, process of Cole Anthony since that moment, I think that that's something that spoke, you know, volume uh, uh, for me. And then I saw him on the Nike EYBO circuit a little bit more recently going into his senior year where they played up against the New York Rens. And New York Rens consisted of Jalen LaCoy, who now uh, is between the Phoenix Suns and their G League team, the MBGL, um, who, you know, everybody, and, and, and uh, Kofi Coburn was on that team uh, as well, 
who's now entering the draft from Illinois. But I will say that um, they PSA was a was a much smaller team than the New York Rens, but it didn't matter. They, they was running around calling Jalen LeQuay the next Russell Westbrook. I was really excited about this because he was from New York the same way that uh, that, that Cole Anthony was from New York. So it was a battle of the King of New York. I'm not really sure how much those guys loved each other at that time. It was a lot of trash talk being thrown around about who the best player out of New York was between, you know, LaQuay, who was at Brewster Academy at the time, uh, and, and, and Cole Anthony. I vividly remember jump ball, the ball being thrown up and right off the tip, you saw Cole Anthony go to work. And, and, and that's when it solidified exactly who he was and who he was going to be for me leading up to this point where he was going to be entering the NBA draft. Um, I mean, just right off the rip, tip ball, he goes into, you know, a penetration mode and goes up with the ball to try and dunk it with his right hand, switches hands and dunks it with his left hand. Almost one of those, uh, what a spectacular move by Michael Jordan moments, you know, against the Lakers. Uh, and I think that was in 91, you know, and so it really reminded me of that. And from there, I mean, PSA just took off on them. Jalen LeQuay was out of sync. Uh, Coffee Coburn just wasn't, you know, remotely himself. The, the, I don't, I don't know what the coaching was like at that time, but it just seemed like they weren't as well coached. And they just they had the size, but they just couldn't get up and down. And Cole Anthony was pretty much scorching them the entire game. So I definitely, definitely remember that. Um, and before you know it, PSA and Cole Anthony was up on Jalen LeQuay and, and New York wins by about 40 before you even know it. And it just looked as if LeQuay and, and, and the New York wins just couldn't get themselves out of there much faster, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, you know, it's, it's just like they're sitting back looking at the time on their watch, trying to see how long it's going to be before this game ends. And a lot of that was thanks to to Cole Anthony. Um, and, you know, I, I talked about and these things are just the facts at this point. I talked about Cole Anthony and his time at North Carolina. And I think that that's a program, along with a few others, Florida. Uh, Memphis, Georgia Tech, who was on, you know, probation, serving their um, one-year probation, self-imposed, that is. Those are about four or five good teams that benefited from, um, you know, the season pretty much being canceled for college basketball this year uh, because this will be one that a lot of people will forget. Uh, and a lot of people will forget exactly how bad or lack thereof that some of those teams were, although Georgia Tech technically did uh, overachieve uh, this year by falling in, into fifth place of the ACC, so good for them. Going to have a pretty good backcourt uh, next year as well. But, um, you know, in a lot of those games, Cole Anthony unfortunately did contribute to North Carolina's nine-game losing streak that particular uh, uh, this past season where they lost every game from the first week of December until the end of February. And you can even include losing 
10 out of 11 games during that stretch with Michigan being that extra game when they played them in uh, in the Bahamas uh, for one of those, you know, preseason tournaments. But uh, going back to the character of Cole Anthony, which I think was, was really awesome of him to do when he decided to declare for the NBA draft, um, you know, I think that it was a really good gesture of him to, you know, give a shout out and thank the the healthcare and the medical staff workers, doctors, uh, nurses, of those things that are you know happening with COVID nineteen right now. The first responders, the leaders, the heroes, and calling them the real MVPs. And for a guy who's coming from New York City, where obviously COVID nineteen is so heavy and hefty, um, I think that that you know him being like maybe not hands-on, but seeing it on a uh, firsthand basis, you know, I think that that was very professional of him when deciding to uh, to go pro. And we saw more than just flashes of Cole Anthony this year, which I thought was phenomenal. But the reality was that his team stunk. You know, the supporting cast, the talent, they stunk. That's just the reality of it. And if he's going to be picked up by the New York Knicks or maybe any other team that's drafting in the lottery, you know, with the exception of maybe a couple, he better get used to it because that's exactly what the New York Knicks is. Again, bright lights, big city, big fancy Nancy market, etc. But that's going to have to be something he's going to get have to get used to. And I know that he is not used to losing. So I think he's going to have to start getting ready to start, you know, picking brains doing some brain picking a little bit with some other players that that can be frustrating. So he can get used to that. Cause again, sometimes he can get really easily frustrated. Um, you know, but the reality is that a lot of the viewers kind of phased out on North Carolina this year and you can't really blame them. I mean, the viewers phased out on Cole Anthony because the viewers phased out on North Carolina. They had no interest in watching and watching. There was limited viewership. Um, and just thinking about it again makes my stomach want to turn. I kind of want to puke all over, all over this camera right now, just thinking about it. But you know, you definitely have to salute him for sticking in there and, and, and hanging in there. That's for sure. Um, now, the exception that uh, of all of that that I just said was the game against Duke, um, where North Carolina was at home. That was the first meeting of the two, um, where you know. Duke won that game by just two points. Carolina lost by two points in overtime. And, you know, that being a rivalry game where, you know, North Carolina led for much of that game and who we expected for uh, for North Carolina to be that year. Um, and so with that being said, and I appreciate my boy who's uh, coming in with me. First and foremost, let's throw this up there. Um <laughs> That's really awesome. Steven Mark Ida, who's checking in with us on Facebook. Again, of course, you guys can leave a little comment, questions, um, opinions. All those things are welcome and strongly encouraged. Uh, but watching from the Philippines, thank you so much, Steven. I really appreciate the support. Um, didn't know I had that kind of, you know, um, following. But I guess I know now I'm over, always overly thankful, grateful, appreciative 
uh, for anybody that, you know, that, that supports uh, the Tate's Take brand. So I'm thankful for that. Triangle or Princeton? I'm assuming they mean the offense. Just curious. Uh, I can't, I don't, I, to answer that question, I don't think that you can go against the triangle per se uh, because of how effective it was under, you know, uh, uh, Phil Jackson. And we know that, you know, Tex Winter implemented that particular style of play into the Chicago Bulls organization, which ultimately led them into even more uh, championships. But um, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a Princeton offense guy. I'm a backdoor Joe. Now, anybody don't know a backdoor Joe, that would be backdoor Joe. That's backdoor cuts, screens, under the basket, easy shots. And I mean, not to say that the dribble drive offense, motion offense, or that the triangle isn't that. Although I do think it's a little bit more, uh, not complicated, I guess more complex, if you will. Uh, so appreciate Stephen Mark Ida very much for checking in and asking the question and leaving some of that. Again, if you guys want to want to check into the dining room with me, feel free to do that by leaving some questions, comments, and opinions below. My dude, Iron Mike Dyson says, who would you compare Cole Anthony's game to, if anybody? Appreciate my dude, Iron Mike. Let me say this real quick before I... Um, answer that question from dice and then we're going to move on to uh the nba update in regards to resuming the season got a really awesome podcast that is up on this uh facebook live via StreamYard every tuesday Let's see if i can remember this we're just kind of getting this thing started trying to dot every i cross every t dot every lowercase j iron out wrinkles and tighten up every loose screw that we can in regards to our podcast it's called Off the Glass with Dyson Tate every Tuesday, every Friday as well, um, from uh, 6p until 7p. Of course, that is Eastern Standard Time. Um, so make sure that you check that out. I call him Iron Mike Dyson. We act up. We act a fool. We have on really awesome guests. Got some awesome guests coming on within the next week or two. Uh, so just really working on some things. That's hashtag game for free. Uh, hashtag we like to call ourselves the basketball savants that's iron mike dyson you can find him on social media at the delegate 24 see if i can remember this at t-h-e-d-e-l-e-g-a-t-e 24 that is on twitter as well as on ig so you can check him out there um but hashtag off the glass man really awesome podcast tuesdays and fridays but um, to answer his question, who would you compare Cole Anthony's game to, if anybody? Ironically enough, and I'm not sure if I said this earlier or not, but I will say it again just in case. A blue devil. A, 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 a player who's in, currently in the NBA right now, who's a, who, who went to Duke, was one and done, I believe got drafted in the lottery, Um whose dad played in the NBA as well. I'm going to see if my boy Mike Dice can. I don't want to make him guess it. I guess I'll go ahead and tell him, man. Don't say I never did nothing for you in your life. Austin Rivers. Cole Anthony reminds me a lot of Austin Rivers, just with the way, you know, that style of play. Um, maybe not necessarily the fastest guys, but very quick, very shifty, and just very, very edgy. Uh, and, I, and I definitely like that about their game, so appreciate it. My boy Iron Mike for coming in and, and checking in on, on on the kid, man, and and uh, asking some questions. I guess he did say, "You better not say Austin," assuming that he means this guy, Austin Rivers. 
he does remind me of him. And I, I think that he'll be a better pro than Austin Rivers. But and I'm not comparing them in regards to, well, you know, this is how Austin Rivers' career turned out. So this is how this guy's, you know, career is going to turn out. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that that'll be the case. Um, but you know, one thing I will say is I think that their game, their style of play, um, you know, reminds me a lot of each other in those regards. So. Last but certainly not least, the last episode. Appreciate everybody for checking in at Tate's Take Hoops, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S on Instagram as well as on um, on Twitter, all social media platforms. Although I don't have the TikTok and the Twitch and the Switch and the what's the new thing everybody else is. Uh, I don't have the Periscope. I'm trying to see what else I do or don't have. Uh, I don't know if I'm leaving out one or not. I feel like I'm moving, uh, missing out on one. The, the, the chat snap or whatever it's called. I don't have that one either. I find better things to do with my time. But um, let's move right on into the NBA update <clears throat> and talking a little bit about, you know, resuming the season because I've been getting this question a lot by a lot of different people. Um, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know when they are going to bring the NBA back. I don't think anybody knows. I think that we're hearing a lot of different things, but I'm not confident just yet that we're going to have that ability of getting basketball back sooner than later, uh, I guess, if that makes sense. And I know a lot of people may or may not necessarily agree with that, um, but it's not to or not to agree with. I know everybody's missing it and loving their basketball, loving their sports. We're supposed to be right here in the midst of playoffs right now. Um, but, um, you know, what I will say enough to say that I think the most important thing is that everybody is healthy. And with that, I'll get into my NBA update where uh, it's been reported that practice facilities will open on tomorrow. So uh, NBA officially practice facilities will open up tomorrow on the 8th of May uh, for limited voluntary workouts. I know it's going to start out with more of like an information call, if you will, by the commit held by the commissioner in Adam Silver. Um, and that, you know, he really wants to ideally use that as a platform that allows, you know, players to ask questions if they have concerns of any sorts. Um, whether that be with, you know, uh, utilizing the uh, the practice facilities for their workouts or just for the NBA going forward. And I think that that's a good first step to take. Um, you know, he really wants to make himself this being Ad, uh, Adam Silver, I want to say Adam Sandler, but Adam Silver um, as, you know, being more accessible to any and all NBA players. Um, and that, you know, this is the first step back to somewhat of normalcy and the first step back to the season getting the season getting back underway. So if you have to find some kind of optimism and you really want to know, maybe you heard it here first on Tate's Take, um, you know, and, and, and how close are we? That first step is going to be likely to take place here within, you know, just hours away. So I think it'll be really interesting to find out exactly what we will get. You know, some of the takeaways are from that. Now, there's pros and cons to that. Obviously, this is a starting place for players to uh, become getting comfortable all over again. And, um, you know, with their teammates and the coaching staff and the whole nine, 
Um, and it's somewhat of an optimistic feel, uh, you know, but, you know, the, the league likely is reported rather uh, that the li- that the league likely will need about 15,000 tests in order to resume the season, which sounds like a lot. And you know why? Because it is a lot. And that's part of the things that concerns me is that you have so many people out here that are testing or need the testing for COVID-19 who aren't professional basketball players, who don't make millions of dollars. And just for the satisfaction of our fans to be able to watch a basketball game with or without fans, we try to make sure that NBA players have these tests when there's people pretty much like clinging on to, you know, dear life uh, for, you know, their health and in need of a test. That doesn't sit very well with me. However, I do understand that this is a business that has to be run. And the reality is that millionaires are more important uh, than the rest of the civilians um, because sports is important and sports runs this country. And if you can't tell that by now, uh, then just wait until, you know, if you think that there's a lot of hell being raised and havoc being raised and all these different things, yeah, just wait until they're talking about, you know, um, the NFL season, you know, um, you know, holding out from the NFL season. I think that that's just going to open up a whole nother can of, uh, of, 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 whoop, of, of, of whoop ass or worms or uh, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but I think that it's going to be something a little bit different once you start messing with football in this country. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, the those 15,000 tests is pretty much what's going to be required to for uh, from the uh, resumption of the season until you conclude the season. Um, and that's going to be testing everybody, not just the players. That's going to be testing the staff and medical staff. And, you know, I would imagine front office, anybody that can be in place for these games, you know, the coaching staff, the whole nine. Um, and that's just, you know, in regards to, I kind of feel like it's kind of like test gouging in a sense, if that makes any kind of set, uh, sense, and that um, that they don't plan on testing players that is asymptomatic. So I'm not exactly sure which direction that they're going to go in in regards to that, but keep your eyes and your ears open because we will uh, know a whole lot more in less than 24 hours. That is it for Tate's take. I will say this much. I know it's been a little bit long, but I really do appreciate any and everybody for, you know, checking in and just sharing um, the, the, the the podcast and even off the glass with Mike Dyson. Make sure that, you know, you don't forget about um, the off the glass with Dyson Tate on Tuesdays and Fridays from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Again, all Eastern Standard Time I'm going to be. Working on putting this stuff up on YouTube and going to be working towards, um, you know, some other avenues in regards to social media, getting the um, getting that platform tightened up a little bit um, and just really looking forward to that. So really excited. Uh, Got another player coming up after uh, that we've done now that we've concluded Cole Anthony on the next one is going to be taking place on Friday around this same time. So keep your eyes and your ears open for that. We give nothing short of the best 110% uh, draft analysts 
uh, or analysis rather. Um, and just make sure that you uh, check in with your boy, man, on social at Tate's Take Hoops again, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S, where basketball lives. We know that already. And uh, hashtag the basketball savant. So until next time on Friday, 6P to 7P, that's all we got, man. And um, I'll catch up with you guys in a minute.